Chapter 7 The trailers at Open Sky Outdoor Resort had a look of sad semi-permanence to them. If there was a two-week limit to stays at this campground, it certainly wasn't enforced. Some of the rattier trailers had tall blue propane tanks in front of them and dented aluminum skirting to cover the wheels. Others had ramshackle wooden porches with screen doors built on and children's toys strewn through the brittle brown grass. A semi-toothless woman behind the counter directed me to Nash's trailer. The camper was neither new nor as decrepit as the other surrounding trailers, but somewhere in between. A black Ford pickup truck was parked beside the door. Nash's trailer backed up to a small expanse of open grass where a campfire ring still smoldered, flanked by a couple of folding chairs. I knocked on the door. Nash answered nearly immediately. He didn't look like the picture of hard work and family concern that his wife painted. Shirtless, Nash had the beginnings of a hairy gut beginning to lop over his belt. He sneered as I looked him up and down, a beer clutched in one hand. He looked to be in his mid-thirties, with the muscles of a man who's worked for his living with his hands, and a face that told me he was too stupid to do anything else. His hair was brown and fairly short, and he had one of those damned goatees that were popular right now. Looked to me like all he could do with his facial hair anyway. Nash's face still showed the effects of a few decent blows that were landed Wednesday night at the cat's meow. Tommy Repetto hired effective bouncers, if nothing else. What do you want? Nash took a swing from his beer. I'm looking for a stripper named Lucy from the cat's meow. I understand you were there Wednesday night. I don't know nobody named Lucy. Nash drained the beer can and stared at me. You know someone named Tommy Lynn, I'll bet. At least that's what I heard from your former boss. He crushed the beer can in his fist. Fucking queer. I grabbed Nash by the throat and pushed him back into the trailer. He stumbled and fell against a dinette, knocking paper plates in a pan filled with unnaturally orange macaroni and cheese to the dirty linoleum floor. He scrambled to regain his balance, pulling his fist back to strike. I grabbed my Glock from inside my jacket, instantly training it on Nash. He jerked back against the camper wall, his hands up. You tell me everything you know or I'll tell your pregnant wife you just lost your job for beating up a stripper. He sank into the dinette. He ran his dirty hands through his hair and sighed. I have no idea where Lucy is. I haven't been back to the cat's meow since Wednesday night. I'm banned from there anyway. I don't know where that fucking queer is either. I left him laying on the floor, right where he belongs. I wasn't going to engage this moron in a discussion of gender versus sexual identity. Somehow I didn't think it would make any difference. I pointed the Glock at him again. Listen, asshole. Chase Hawksworth told me you were angry enough Wednesday night to say you were going to kill Tommy Lynn. You know what happened this morning? Lucy's car burned up. And when the fire was out, they found a body in the trunk. The only things they could identify were the breast implants. How about I go to the police and tell them I have an idea of whose body it is and how it got there? No, man. I didn't have anything to do with that. Yeah, I hit him Wednesday night, but I wouldn't kill him. Convince me. Lucy left that night to take Tommy Lynn to the emergency room. You're not working right now. You've had two days to stalk Tommy Lynn, track her down, and finish what you started. No, I didn't. I was just pissed off and drunk. I wouldn't kill anybody. Where's Lucy then? I don't know. I told you. So what have you been doing these last two days? Looking for work. I got a baby coming, man. Yeah. 
The best new fathers spend their paychecks on strippers and beer. Where did you apply? Nash rattled off some of the other fracking companies in town and a trucking company. I'll be checking them. If I find you've lied to me, I'm coming back. I holstered my Glock and stepped back. He exhaled and smoothed his idiot goatee. You going to the police? How do you know I'm not the police now? I folded my arms. I guess I don't. Well, it's worse than that, pal. I'm being paid to find Lucy, and I'm a retired cop. If you have any idea where she is, you better tell me and tell me now. I don't have to worry about preserving your fucking civil rights. Nash's eyes widened and he shook his head. I don't know nothing about her, man. Nothing. I paid her for a couple lap dances once. She said she needed the money to get out of town. Isn't that considerate of you? No, man. She said she was being threatened. When was that? Last week sometime. That's all I know. Then she wasn't at the club for a couple days, and when I saw her Wednesday night, it was the same story. But that fucking... I get the idea. I get the idea. Did she ever say who was threatening her? Did she say any names that stood out? He shook his head. No. I reached into my jacket for a business card. Nash's hands flew up again, and he flattened himself against the camper wall, expecting his brains to be splattered across the peeling wallpaper. Yeah, big man now, aren't you? I flicked the card at him. My name's Fitz. You hear anything about Lucy or Seer, you call me, you hear? If I find out you lied to me, the cops will be on your ass so fast your head'll spin. Lucy turns up dead and you're the first name I give to them. You understand? He nodded. I let myself out of the trailer and slid back into my excursion. I scrolled through my phone contacts as I drove until I came to Barnes's phone number. Hey, it's me, Fitz. I see that. He slurped noisily on something. If I knew him, he was probably at his crummy dump of an apartment, drinking a PBR and eating a meal fresh out of the microwave. Barnes was like a lot of old-timers. He'd never been married to anyone except his job. Come to think of it, I don't know if a woman had ever stepped into Barnes's world. You find Sarah Pelfrey yet? Or her body? Nope. We got a bolo out for her statewide. But if one of Hernandez's capos got a hold of her, we may never find her. Unless it's in the trunk of a car like today. Since you brought it up, you got anything on that body yet? Nothing yet. You? Some of my contacts suggested it could be one of Tony Repetto's girls from the Cat's Meow. A transgender stripper who goes by the name Tommy Lynn. I heard his pencil scratch on paper as I spelled the name for him. He always carried five or six sharpened pencils with him. He always said they would write when a space-age rollerball wouldn't in these goddamn humid Ohio summers. His gravel voice continued when he stopped writing. Jesus Christ, Fitz, and what's this transgender shit? You got a dick, be a man. You got tits, you're a woman. You're telling me this person had breast implants and a wang? Pick a winning team, you know? Jesus Christ. I cringed. I wasn't any more comfortable with the topic than he was, but I'd seen enough bizarre behavior in my line of work to know some folks' darkest secrets were harder to live with than others. I also knew keeping them secret did as much, if not more, damage as speaking them out loud. I just got to be the one who pulled the band-aid off that wound so everybody and their lawyer could see it bleed. Barnes continued his rant. When we were coming up, there was none of this transsexual, homosexual shit in Fawcettville. Boys were boys and girls were girls. Gay meant happy and queer meant odd. I swear to God. Anyway, what else you got? She was in the company of Sarah Pelfrey Wednesday night. That's all I got right now. 
By the way, Sarah's daddy hired me to help find her, too. You know how this works, Fitz. We stay out of each other's way until you have something I need. You hide anything from me and I'll charge you with obstruction. I know. And you're not obligated to tell me shit. Yep. You think Sarah had anything to do with his death? Can't say. I don't want to think so, and neither does her father. But stupid ex-meth heads can do anything, you know? Amen, brother. I'll shake the databases and see what falls out on this Tommy Lynn character. I appreciate the heads up. He didn't bother to say goodbye. Barnes never did. As I drove back to town, I pondered Sarah's disappearance. Who could be threatening her? One of the first things I learned during my police career was that the easiest explanation of what happened at a crime scene was probably the most true. It made the most sense that Pablo Hernandez's associates had gotten wind that she was going to testify and wanted to rough her up, or maybe hold her responsible for the lengthy sentence he was likely to get. I was going to let the police pursue that end of the story, and hopefully they'd come up empty-handed. But what if Hernandez wasn't the most obvious suspect? What if it was any of the folks who had filed lawsuits against her father? What about that group's soul? How far would they go to stop full-bore drilling from fracking? But someone would have to make the connection between Sarah Pelfrey and Chase Hawksworth to do that, and someone would have to know Sarah's maiden name. I also couldn't see soul tree-huggers or the folks with the poisoned water visiting the cat's meow to talk to Sarah about the threats they believed her father presented as she flashed her tits while spinning on a chrome pole. But maybe I should. Maybe there was something about those folks I needed to know. No matter who it was, Sarah should have taken Alicia up on her offer of witness protection. Maybe she was still alive wherever she was, and maybe I'd find her before they did. I'd start searching the internet once I had the chance to enjoy Katie's lasagna. There were three bedrooms in our University Heights home. One for Gracie and me, and one she'd converted into a study and practice room long before I'd moved in. The third was the guest room. I'd slept in that room more than once when I'd truly pissed her off. Along the way, it had been semi-converted into my home office. I knew in my heart I'd never move into her office. I knew I couldn't look at that cello leaning against the white chair where she sat, the stringed bow on the yellow seat cushion, as if she'd be walking back through the door any time. It was just easier to keep it closed. I still couldn't pass by without laying a hand on the door's cool, dark wood. It was one of my daily rituals to stop and say something to my darling girl, as if she were still behind that closed door, studying the score for her next symphony performance, or grading student papers. Morning, Gracie. Miss you. Hey, Dr. Darcy. Love you. Sometimes a touch was all I needed to continue my day. Sometimes it was more than that. Sometimes I'd lay my forehead on the door and talk to her through it about my day. The wins, the losses, the exasperation with Mary Margaret or a client. The morning after Alicia Linnerman left, I put my forehead against the door and begged for her forgiveness yet again, and let the tears drip into the old dark wood. Tonight, after dinner, my touch was in brief reverence as I passed on my way to the office. I don't know what I'm looking for, Gracie. Help me find it. Help me find Sarah Pelfrey. I pulled the black, fake leather chair up to the desk I'd installed in the guest room. The desktop computer chimed as I turned it on. It was times like this I wish I had access to the law enforcement databases like NCIC, the National Crime Information Center, or LEADS, Ohio's Law Enforcement Automated Database System, 
where I could research the known associates of folks like Pablo Hernandez or others of his ilk. That would have given me a head start. Barnes might share with me what he found, or he might not. Open police investigations weren't subject to public record laws, and then even though we'd been cops together, Barnes knew what he could and couldn't tell me. There were some public places I could start, like NAM US, a free online database for families and law enforcement alike that worked to connect unidentified remains to missing people. NAM US was different in that families could add their missing loved ones and come up with possible matches to unidentified bodies. Law enforcement could work from their own secure end, entering the DNA and other more pertinent results. Each case had its own case manager who worked with both law enforcement and families. Headquartered at the University of North Texas in Fort Worth, the website was funded by the Department of Justice's National Institute of Justice and allowed searches by the general public. I entered as much information as I had on Tommy Lynn. Male, dark, curly hair. Hoping for the outside chance there would be something that I could connect to Sarah. The system wouldn't allow me to say good teeth, but hopefully there would be more dental information with what came up than would allow me to filter the results. I didn't know if he had any body piercings or tattoos, but I did note the breast implants under prosthetics. To widen my search, I left the last known location blank. I figured he was probably close to Sarah's age, so I selected under 30, hit enter, and waited to see what came up. Nothing. Shit. Did I put in enough information? Eh, probably not. Then again, families don't always embrace their transgender child. It was possible they hadn't reported the disappearance at all. For all I know, Tommy Lynn's family had thrown her out, told her to take the confusion they saw as perversion and never darken their door again. But maybe they had. I couldn't imagine throwing a child out like so much garbage, but I'd seen it before. It wouldn't surprise me. Maybe after Doc Lamberto did his preliminary autopsy, I could get more out of Barnes and try again. I was probably duplicating their efforts, and they might get information before I did, but they also might not. I pulled out the local clerk of court's website and clicked on the civil division, downloading all the documents on the three civil cases against Chase Hawksworth and full bore drilling might give me a little more information. The case between Hawksworth and Soul could wait. I looked first at the two cases from the families with the burning well water. James Nagy and his wife Marta owned a nice house on about an acre and a half on the east side of the full bore drilling site. They had that whole organic crap going on. Raised their own goats and chickens, made their own cheese, had a vegetable garden, often sold their goods at the local farmer's market. Nagy was a political science professor at the college. I remember meeting him at one of the university Christmas functions with Gracie. His politics put him to the left of most liberals I knew. He had been arrested for climbing what was reportedly a historic tree in front of one of the downtown businesses after a newspaper story ran that it was slated for removal. He'd eventually vacated his treetop protest when the business owner, who claimed the dying tree was liable to fall on his roof, sued him. He was handcuffed and charged with misdemeanor trespassing, but when he agreed to pay for part of the tree removal, charges were dropped. Nagy and his wife had a teenage daughter named Anna, who was fighting leukemia. Nagy claimed the leukemia could be traced back to the contaminated wells and filed suit against Hawksworth and full bore, seeking unspecified damages plus medical costs. Nagy and his wife had been known to stage other protests, standing at the base of the Civil War statue and holding signs protesting everything from Big Pharma to the Iraq War to, come to think of it, even fracking. But would they kill someone? If 
I had kids and somebody was getting away with poisoning them, I might be angry enough to do that. But could Nagy have come in contact with Sarah Pelfrey? Some left-wing college professor spending time with a stripper? That didn't seem likely. It didn't track. A more likely target would seem to be Hawksworth himself. On the other hand, there have been stranger bedfellows. I built a second career on exposing strange bedfellows. The other civil suit was filed by Carlisle Wheelerson, a local farmer. It was Wheelerson's cattle I watched drink from the stream on my way to first visit Hawksworth. Wheelerson had originally sold the mineral rights to the land now used as the drill site to Hawksworth, who claimed the basis for the suit was more buyer's remorse than contaminated water. It had been Wheelerson I'd seen on the TV news lighting the water as it came out of his kitchen faucet. Wheelerson was also a bit of a rowdy, particularly when he had a few beers in him. And he had a temper, that much I knew. He had a couple of minor arrests, mostly for a series of bar fights he'd gotten into several years back, during a rather messy divorce from his first wife, Darla. I was still on the FPD when I responded to one of them. The complainant, whose nose Wheelerson broke, had warmed Darla's sheets on more than one occasion prior to the ink drying on the divorce decree. The question was, how could Carlisle have come in contact with Sarah? I couldn't see him at the Cat's Meow strip club. He'd gotten religion with his second marriage, and like many of the farmers in Fawcettville, he may have enjoyed his beer on Saturday night, but he showed up for church Sunday morning. And once again, a more likely target would have been Hawksworth. Of the two men, I could see Nagy having a better chance of coming into contact with Sarah than Wheelerson. Nagy was also more likely to do something stupid that could get out of hand quickly, but it still didn't make sense that he would set Sarah's car on fire and kill Tommy Lynn. Either way, I'd be paying them both a visit Saturday morning. I printed out the injunction from Seoul, but decided I wouldn't delve into that until I'd ruled out Nagy and Wheelerson's involvement in Sarah's disappearance. More than likely, neither had anything to do with it, but I still wanted to talk to them just to get a clearer picture. My cell phone vibrated on the desk next to me. It was Hawksworth. The sounds of sirens and men yelling in the background obscured his words. What? I can't hear you. Hawksworth responded as loudly. I said somebody set my house on fire. Sounds like you've already got the fire department there. What do you want me to do about it? Maybe the bastard who did it knows where Sarah is. 